Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. TV concierge, my name is Bill Simmons. Ryan Rosillo is here. He has been a big Ozark fan. I became a big Ozark fan. I'd been saving it like a bottle of wine in the cellar waiting for the right time. Guess what was the right time? A quarantine where there's just a lot of TV to watch. I banged out 30 episodes of Ozark. I would say in about maybe three and a half to four weeks, I would rank the seasons. uh, Season one, I have first. Season three, close second. Season two, third. How do you rank the seasons just out of curiosity? Yeah, same. Okay. No question. I mean, you know, I honestly I like season one the most yeah. of them. But uh yeah, I mean I don't want to say like it rebounded in season three because season two is good. I mean, it's just the simplest way to put it is like anybody that hasn't seen it, you just go, you're gonna enjoy it. Like you're going to like watching it. I know that sounds really simple, but of all the other grand shows and say, Oh, is it this or that? Look, just put it on, you're gonna watch Ozark. You're gonna like it. We're doing spoilers in this one. This podcast is for people who saw Ozark season three. Let's start with the season finale, the last image. Shocker. No, I wasn't shocked. She was up. Helen was done. Something had to happen big. This show takes big, big swings. Yeah. And they tried. They tried to be like, wait a minute. Maybe Wendy and Helen are going to be buddies. They're parents. They have a lot in common. Teenage angst daughters. And then it was like, nope. Like, I'm about me and I'm about me. And I like they tried and then it fell apart. You weren't shocked when it was like Marvin in Pulp Fiction. Her head just was all over the place, all over Laura Linney and Jason Bateman. That shocked you not at all? The most shocking thing was that Wendy sort of like after PTA meetings was just text buddies with the head of a cartel. So <laughs> that that part, which again, they did a great job of setting that up by giving you her backstory that she was a campaign manager and that she'd be capable of operating these worlds. Like if she was just straight up mom, Girl Scout cookies, you'd be like, this is a bit of a reach for a story, but that was a good way to make you go, oh, okay, fine. I mean, the show, again, really pushes the edges of, of all of these storylines. But I thought once they kind of played together and then didn't get along, Bill, then we knew, okay, well, somebody's done out of this trio. And it's not It Martin. seemed like, yeah, by like the sixth or seventh episode, it became clear that Ben, the brother, was going to die and that Helen was probably going to try to get the birds killed, but then get double-crossed in some way. I thought it would be season four when it would happen. I didn't think they would play the card ending season three like they did. Let's go to MVP really quick. MVP of season three. I think the two big candidates, you would say Laura Linney playing Wendy, really had some good moments in episode nine, which was the best episode of the season. She's amazing. But I thought Ben, the brother, was incredible. Tom Pelfrey. I really loved his performance. I thought it was one of the most distinct one season performances in a signature show like this that I can ever remember. You know, we, we Sopranos had a couple of these too, where like Ralphie comes in for a year or Richie Priel comes in for a year and they're in and out. They're just kind of on the team, like Bison Dele and the 97 Bulls or something. 
I just thought he was an incredible actor. Like I'm excited to see what he does next because that's a part that could have gone sideways and it just did not with him. Okay, I can't believe you brought up The Sopranos, but you're good at this, so that's why you did. The Sopranos, as great as it is, has one of the all-time advantages of any show that we've ever watched in that because it's built around the mob, you can just have guys get out of jail and boom, season three, we get a new character. Like there has to be, there's no yeah. backstory. It doesn't matter and it's all very acceptable. You're like, oh, okay, this guy got out of jail. All right, this guy's back, this whole thing. Other shows can't just magically have these characters that all the main characters have always been invested in without us knowing about it. But yet with the brother in this spot, it works. You know, it's, it's not always easy to pull off. And I think what Pelfrey does, which is really hard to do, is if you were to sit there and say, okay, I want to write this character that's bipolar, you probably would fall into the, the, the habit of like having them do crazy things all the time. And anybody that's ever had any experience with it, whether it's friends or relatives, I think the thing that's always hard to explain to people that don't have experience with it is that it's, it's not like this thing where the person isn't um, like it, it's on the boundaries, you know, you don't always notice it all the time and then you'll notice it in some of these extremes. And that's the polar uh, part of the whole thing. And I'm obviously not speaking to it as an expert, but he has to be normal in scenes and then the cab ride when he gets out and he's talking or it's an Uber driver or something. I, I think it's an Uber. I don't yeah. forget if it's a taxi or Uber. The way he's he's rambling nonsensical because he's kind of manic in that moment. I thought it was really well executed. And you can't do too much there. Or it's, it just sort of gets out of control. And I think he played in the boundaries of somebody with that, um, with that challenge, I guess I'm saying. Well, you know, it, the, the mental health part of it. He did it well. Yeah, and then you had to have the temper thing because we the first time we meet him when he flips out when he's teaching the classroom, that establishes like, oh yeah, you know, there's no ceiling on how crazy this guy might get in a given scene because that scene's insane. He's throwing iPhones into a wood chipper. And, but then when he goes to see Helen and he's so mad at her and the daughter's there and he's screaming at the daughter, there's like spit coming out of his mouth. Like, that's that's one of the better scenes I can remember anybody having in the last 10 years on a TV show. Like he's so upset and it feels like they, in real life, he probably needed like 15 minutes just to calm down after he filmed that. Right. No, he's you're so right. Into it. I was thinking about that too. Like how worked up you must have to get yourself as an actor to go. All right. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to suck for like the next half hour as I get myself really tuned up here. And, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of screening that, that grade school was doing though for their substitutes <laughs> <laughs> and you know what i did love too a little bit of a trick is his accent you know all of a sudden like this rural hick brother shows up and then he mentions how wendy tried as hard as she did to lose her accent from south carolina right, right, and you right. go ah oh, i see what you guys did there but he's great he's great in it episode nine was a signature episode I think if we remember it, like when people remember the great shows, they remember like Osmandias and all, all that stuff. I also really liked the the casino subplot. I just kind of like being at the casino. I thought they did a good job with how it looked. It was realistic. You know, they. I, I don't know how fast it would be to build a casino like that. I also don't really understand how easy or hard it is to launder money. This show makes it seem like it's the fucking easiest thing in the world. It's like, ah, we'll open a casino. Ah, we'll front some money to this political figure. And it's just like, yeah, how, mu how much did you launder? 40 million. I don't know how they get to the math. Um, oh, we'll invest in Darlene's heroin farm. Uh, do you feel like you could launder money now after you watch this show or no? <laughs> uh, I don't know that it's easy, man. Like the whole point of this show is that it's been really, really challenging the whole time. You know what yeah. I used to do 
going back to the first season is I would try to keep track of Marty's losses. And for whatever reason, I'd be annoyed and be like, oh, man, that seems like it wasn't worth it. And then I go, so how much, how much can he lose here before the cartels? <laughs> like laundering look, we, expert. Yeah. We understand like 20% maybe is the cost, uh, basis of, of doing this stuff. But you know, the whole point of this is that we're not losing all this money. Like, is, is he able, like, how is the blue cat owner just able to steal hundreds of thousands and go on a bender? And it's like, okay, like the math still works out because of the casino part of it. Yeah. He always has a spare million bucks to throw around where, where like, even after the first episode, when, uh, Ruth gets in trouble. She throws Frank Jr. over the railing. And he's like, hey, how, how can we fix this? Would $800,000 do the trick or whatever he offers? Like, yeah, or, or the percentages. Yeah, like yeah. it's like, hey, here's another deal. Like, oh, the deals always seem to be getting worse and worse for Marty throughout the entire thing. But, you know, as you mentioned, the casino, this show is just, it's big swing after big swing. And instead of going, Hey, we're going to have this family go out to the Ozarks. He has no choice, right? It's a little Breaking Bad in that sense where, you know, he has no choice where Walter White has a choice and he decides to just keep going with it because he likes it. So it's different there. But this is really what I think we want now in shows is that I don't want some show that's like, oh, there was a there was a mix up with the locals in episode eight. It's like, no, there's a Mexican drug cartel where their guy gets whacked and they don't care. And they send another guy. And then you've got heroin locals, farmers. If you get the KC mob that comes along later, you've got this lawyer for the cartel. You've got the FBI, which is even more messed up on that storyline. And by the way, the Kansas City mobs have said so it's just these things circling the main character throughout where it also opens up all these other possibilities once you accept how corrupt the whole thing is. Plus, post-puberty Jonah, I thought he navigated it pretty well. You know, that that we've seen that gone bad on some shows, most notably AJ Soprano. Tough post-puberty run for him. Um, but I thought it, clearly they're setting up. He's going to go off the rails at some point. I, I got an important question from somebody who just watched 30 Ozark episodes. At what point... Was it okay to become attracted to Darlene? Like first season, was it something you grew into, or did you know right away? Like when she starts getting frisky, I'm actually not going to be horrified, even though she's a horrifying character. I was going to eat a sub after this, and I I don't like the way you preface this question. You're asking it as if I've confirmed to you that it happened for me. I, I'm we, just we, guessing. We still don't know. Well, it sounds like this is more. Do you want to just answer your own question here? Because I don't have yeah, an answer for I, you. Here. There's, there, I, I have no idea how old she is. You can tell me she's seventy. <laughs> she somehow pulling off the uh, romance with Wyatt. There's something she's about the way she carries herself. I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's a it's a stunt double going on in the Wyatt scene, but she <laughs> is definitely the season three MVP for me. Because you know, every single person wants her dead the entire time. Yeah, and I think we need Darlene. Oh yeah, we, we do. I think like, they also, you don't want her dead. They did a great job in the scene when she ends up killing her husband, or the episode when she kills her husband, of setting up young Darlene, where it's just like, here's the all-time lady you just need to stay away from, and he can't, and he knows it. He knows it from day one. It's like this is going to be too hot to handle for me. I can't, I can't resist. I, 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 I just got to see this through, and he ends up getting poisoned quickly. Jason Bateman, I feel like he kind of put a stamp on this season. And I say that out of an incredible amount of respect for what he did with the show, watching the 30 episodes in a row and how many of them he directed and how good he was as a director. I thought in this season, Marty's just just kind of setting picks, doing everything in a monotone. He's doing a lot of, no, no, it's okay, honey, it's fine. 
I don't know what happened to him this season. I, I thought he was my LVP. His character, though, is, is not ever going to be somebody like the, the whole thing for him is this like stoic thing. I'm not disagreeing with yeah. you, by the way, but it's it's this stoic Bateman thing that he's nailed in multiple different ways. Like this isn't a huge deviation from some other Bateman that we've seen. But I mean, here he is in this impossible situation. I love that they started it off where the family wasn't happy. You know, it was a great pilot opening scene. He's watching a video yeah. of his wife cheating on him. I mean, that's that's like way up there stuff for the beginning. But this felt a little bit like, you know, how Game of Thrones in the final season, it felt like female empowerment throughout. This yes. was was very, I mean, Darlene's in control and she's and not Wendy. listening to anybody. Wendy's in control. And then Wendy and Helen are kind of the back and forth. The, hey, this is going to work out. No, it isn't. And then Helen's working to maybe take them out. And, and a little Ruth, too. Ruth, Ruth kind of steps it up a little bit. Right. And I, like, you know, the character that I've always thought was impossible was the teenager who's, you know, a B or C character, the teenage daughter. Like, it's just hard. Yeah. It's, it never seems to be written really any differently. It's like, oh, okay, you're, I mean, Dana Homeland is the poster child for like the most unlikable teen daughter in a drama. True. But I find Charlotte really likable. Like every point she's making is totally reasonable, even though she's accepted this deal. Like other than the emancipation thing, which I think was a good storyline. Like that's a hard thing to pull off. I don't care, male, so, female, whoever you are as a writer, like that, that, that character usually ends up being incredibly unlikable. And you're right. Joan and Charlotte are both like at the end of it. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm down with these guys. So you're giving Charlotte comeback player of the year, it sounds like. Uh, Charlotte, we, maybe Jonah, though, although I still don't understand how you let Darlene cut his hair like that and the family just let it ride for a little while in season yeah, two. Yeah, that's another weak moment for Marty. Ruth, we didn't talk about enough, but I thought she was great this season. Quick prediction for season four based on what you saw in season three. Ruth, probably going at Marty. So that that was going to be my prediction. It, it's setting up for Ruth versus Marty, which I never in a million years would have guessed. But I feel like things are now lining up for that, and that will be really fun. Ruth and Darlene. But then the, one of them will turn on the other. I think Ruth wins. Like, Darlene probably has to die in season four. And then it's a Ruth-Marty showdown. I Does Wendy make it out of season four? You really shake the foundation of the story, though, if Marty or Wendy are dead. Right. Like that okay. has to be something that happens in the final one. I feel like we didn't talk about Ruth enough, but Ruth feels like prime shack in a fantasy draft where you just go like everyone loves Ruth. Like Ruth yeah. makes it all work. She's probably the strongest actor, actress throughout the entire thing. Also, so, could it maybe maybe move out of the trailer after you're making a lot of yeah. money at the casino? Maybe get get it get a small house. Invest in something. We have to go. That was Ozark season three for TV concierge for Ryan Russell on Bill Simmons. We'll see you next time.